to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Bullock. And welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fullick, and as always, we like to talk about things related to disaster planning, business continuity, emergency response, crisis communications, and anything that can be related to those fields. I'd like to remind everybody that uh, I will be in Manila, uh, Manila, Philippines, uh, November 13th to 16th. I'll be at the International Emergency Management Society Conference, the 25th anniversary conference. And hopefully uh, we'll see some of uh, you know our international listeners there, and uh, maybe I can get uh, 10, 15 minutes of your time, and we'll get you on the show to talk about what you're doing and your thoughts on, on the industry. Um, and if there's any other topic, like I always say, if there's something you want us to talk about or you want to be a guest on the show, please feel free. Go to the Voice America website and the Preparing for the Unexpected homepage site. There is a button there that says Send Host an Email. I do get them. Um, you know, it doesn't just go off into uh, the netherworld, but I do get them, and I do respond to everybody that I uh, get. And we'll see about getting you on the show or finding someone to come in and talk about this topic you want us to cover. Uh, you may recall from uh, previous shows that uh, I attended the initial, or the inaugural, actually, I should say, uh, Continuity and Resilience Today conference in Toronto. And my guest today was one of those presenters. And when she tells you about herself and her experience, uh, you'll find out as I'm looking at her <laughs> her slide page right now, she has a lot to offer and a lot. she's going to be providing a lot of great expertise. I can just see it now. So I'd like to welcome to the show, Marie-Hélène Primo. Thank you very much. Hello. Hi, Alex, for having me on the show. Oh, my pleasure. So why don't we take a minute or two, um, tell us about yourself, you know, uh, as, as I just mentioned, you know, you have a, it's pretty, pretty full here, all the things that you, you are, have done and are doing in the industry. Well, I'm a practitioner in business continuity. I've been working in the field for the last 15 years in various sectors. Uh, we're also, I'm uh, vice president of Premier Continuum, which is a firm specialized in business continuity, and we offer a software called Parasolution, uh, which covers IT, DR, um, business continuity, crisis management, and emergency management. And I've been instructing for the Business Continuity Institute for the last um, nine years. Um, the good practices, uh, um, as well as specialist courses uh, in North America and Europe. I'm also a um, instructor for ICOR for the ISO 22301 Lead Auditor Course, and we also deliver other ICOR courses. And I've contributed to um, the good practice guidelines in the past as well as uh, standards such as the ISO 22301 and its suite of standards, as well as CSAZ 1600. So just out of curiosity, because I always like to hear how people got into the industry, how did you get into this industry? Well, in fact, I'm originally I'm a CPA, so a chartered accountant. Um, first worked in accounting firms, 
performing uh, a financial audit, and it was actually my sister who started off the company um, now 21 years ago, and she convinced me of joining the company. So um, she, um, you know, explained to me what she was doing, and it really, you know, what appealed to me was the fact of understanding what businesses do and identifying what's critical and help them um, build strategies and be able to respond appropriately when an incident occurs. Yeah, there's always there's always seems to be this uh, appeal to being able to help people do something. I found yeah. that no matter what industry we all come from or how we got into it, that seems to be a common thread. You know, mm-hmm. find it interesting to help people and find out what they need to do. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. So, what I yeah. like by being a consultant as well is the fact that I have the opportunity of, uh, of you know putting my hair, head around, you know, finding what are the criticalities in different industries, such as in manufacturing or financial services or even mining or, uh, or service sectors. So um, I find it challenging and very interesting as well. And there's always something to learn from all these different industries as well, too, like to, to build our own skills going, wow, well, we've always done it this way, and yet I suddenly come to this company and we have to change it. It's, like it's, a, mm-hmm. it's a continuous learning curve for us. Definitely, and especially when we're doing, uh, uh, when we teach. I mean, when I'm instructing to professionals that have been working industry in the industry for uh, a few years, well, they also bring in their own experience, and we have the opportunity of uh, uh, of challenging one another with all the principles mm-hmm. and the experience, and the you know the, when the rubber meets, hits the road, what we need to do. Right. So here's a question for you. With all your experience and all the things you do, what's your definition of business continuity? There are so many out there. So what what do you you consider the definition? Well, in fact, I really like the one that comes from the ISO 22301, which is the capability of the organization to continue delivery of product or services at acceptable predefined levels following a disruptive incident. So what I like about that definition is that it's very short um, also builds on, upon the capability of the organization to be able to continue. Um, expanding on that, which that would be like purely what's business continuity, but I do encompass in the response to incidents also, you know, crisis management as well as emergency response, so NITDR. So those being might be, you know, living within organization as separate functions, but they need to all be coordinated and orchestrated so that when an incident occurs that all these uh, talk to one another and are as, as efficient as possible. So, so maybe that's a, uh, two, two sides to the, to the definition. I don't know, if the, does that meet what you've been seeing as a definition? Yes. You know, I, I, I always had a problem with some of the definitions that are out there because they're very specific to, you know, IT or because you can tell when you read them, you know, that's more IT focused or that's more, you know, evacuation type focused. But business continuity, it's your whole business. It's the whole thing. So it's got to encompass more than just, you know, IT or evacuation. You know, it has to, mm-hmm. to be able to continue. Also in terms of trends and, you know, and I tend to prepare organizations um, in terms of large you know, buckets of consequences, I'd say. Therefore, more in terms of loss of premises or loss of access to premises, depending on the nature of the business, might have it 
it might make a big, big difference in, in between the two, especially if they're highly dependent on on uh, manufacturing equipment, for example. Um, also, loss of IT and, uh, and communication, as well as a loss of people. So, encompassing you know all the pandemic preparedness that occurred ten years ago uh, into the actual plans and uh, loss of suppliers. So, we don't look that much about what could cause those disruptions, but really how do we prepare for these types of um, situations. In some cases, we do add upon that uh, loss of uh, resources. So if they feel that they just should separate a loss of suppliers from loss of resources, so those are different. So so we, we try to be as broad as possible because if you focus only on loss of premise, well, there could be some issues that you could be vulnerable to loss of a key um, employee, for example. And if mm-hmm. you haven't addressed that, well, you, you can't be resilient. Um, That's right. And, and you, you mentioned a great point with triggers, you know, um, you know, with loss of staff. Well, the loss of staff could be gone because you all went out for lunch and had food poisoning. You know, it could, mm-hmm. be, because of, could be because of a pandemic. And you could have a loss of staff because there's a disaster in your area that won't allow them into your building. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they, you know, you can't just focus on one little area and, and uh, you've been in the business long enough. You probably remember the days, because I do, where you had to have different plans for everything, every mm-hmm. tiny little risk, you know, and it was just, you know, you'd end up with reams and reams and reams of binders and printed documents that you, know, you just can't follow. Well, exactly, and you can't update either. <laughs> that's, that's yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, so, and and really, one of the you know point I was covering during the conference was also using the business continuity plans for smaller incidents. Uh, people tend mm-hmm. to focus in the past as really large, um, you know, extensive damage. Let's say a very large fire. Whereas nowadays, our tolerance to interruption has reduced. Therefore, we may want to you know trigger business continuity plans for a. Um, Weather, you know, a weather-related incident that would have a, let's say, one or two days worth of, you know, disruption in our business. Um, so I think that also kind of re- requires that we have less, you know, less scenarios that we focus more on our capability and our ability to be able to continue operations, um, which actually increases the ROI of our program. You know, sells it better to top management if we can use it for smaller things that may occur more often because they'll see value in it, as well as increase our capability to respond if something bigger happens because we've exercised it and we ensure that it actually works, you know, when something occurs. Well, so yeah. I think and that's if, also if, a, a trend that we're using it more and more. Yeah, and if we, if we you, you said a great, you know, selling to executives or, you know, uh, selling your plans and processes to others if you get stuck in the weeds yourself by you know what do we happen on a tuesday in a full moon you know in the third month you know you know when you start getting into plans like that people just kind of think you know i'm not going to follow this this is just ridiculous but you Mm -hmm. you had a great way of generalizing it you know into people the way i do people places and things you know if you Mm -hmm. if anything that happens falls into one of those buckets it's easier Mm -hmm. to communicate your message and, and plan no, definitely, um, and 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 that's really one of you know being stuck in the weeds is actually one of the challenges that people you know 
and, and, and you know, you were asking earlier where people are coming from when they get into business continuity, and I think that also plays into where we position business continuity within organizations, uh, where people that are maybe more comfortable with analytical skills and, you know, like to plan a lot of mean planners will tend to be more focused on, you know, analyzing data and, you know, writing plans rather than, you know, raising the profile of business continuity. Um, so I think that if people have a tendency to be more technical, that they should make sure that they don't get stuck in that, you know, in that trap of being just too comfortable in those, you know, documentation and, you know, make sure that they get the visibility and all the opportunities that they can seize uh, so that business continuity is actually being seen as a value-added activity within the organization rather than just a, you know, something that they need to do for uh, compliance, uh, especially if they're in the financial industry or government Mm -hmm. agencies. Well, here's a question for you because I'm always interested to hear this one too. Um, And you kind of... You, you touched on that a little bit. What, in your opinion, um, uh, and, and all the things that you've seen and the people that you've you've taught, where do you think that BC should reside within an organization, <laughs> whether it be large or small? I, I know it, it it's kind of a you know puts you on the spot a little bit, but I, it, it I, I'm just kind of curious of what maybe what you see rather than maybe what you uh, your personal opinion is. We'll take we'll take it from there. <laughs> Yeah, well, it really depends on the, you know, I'd say in the industry, mostly. Um, if it's more in the financial services, the financial industry, it'll tend to be in, in the um, our operational risk or enterprise risk management. Um, this is where mm-hmm. we often see it. Um, in some cases, it will reside in IT. Um, and in other cases, it may be finance, or if it's more manufacturing, it might go more into either facility management or quality assurance, uh, like more process insurance, uh, assurance. Um, so it really varies. It's not something that's, you know, it's, it's not like marketing. We know it's all going to be, you know, if it's sales or where that's going to be um, positioned within the organization. I think it, and, and where it should be, uh, it really depends, again, on the organization. Um, often it's sponsored that makes the difference. And also where, mm-hmm. um, how far you are in the hierarchy. I think that's what's most important. So let's say, well, there should always be a sponsor that's, that sits at the table of the C-suite um, who ensures mm-hmm. that there is business continuity and that stays on the top of the agenda um, because we all know, I mean, unless there's a um, known threat that's coming, well, business continuity is just, a, you know, something that you, you, we should be doing, but it's not necessarily top priority. Um, right, a necessary evil. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but, I mean, again, if, you, if we can prove that we can use it for other purposes than the big, you know, the, the black swan event, uh, mm-hmm. well, there's more chances that it'll, um, uh, that it's actually going to be uh, um, used and, and people will see value in it. Um, and again, if we're you know speaking with the various programs, if we're not duplicating with emergency management and ITDR and, and crisis management, that it all fits nicely all together, that people actually will see value in it. But, and you know, and my other point was actually the um, so 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 maybe you know having the 
right sponsor, being the advocate of the program within, you know, the C-suite, and and your and the the number of layers between the person that will be in charge of ensuring that the business continuity program is in place uh, and that top executive um, that it should be as close as possible, but ensuring that that person at least has some time to dedicate to business continuity. It doesn't mean, you know, full-time job. It depends on the size of the organization, but at least maybe the equivalent of a day um, within the week. Or um, It really depends on the nature of the organization, but there should be some time available. Um, they can then have the support that comes from a, um, you know external consultant, uh, but at least have someone um, internally. So, uh, typically, uh, so so it really changes from an organization to another. Um, yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. I hear a lot. You know, some people are always asking where where should we do this? Where should we do? You know, who who should be doing this? And you know, where should it reside? And I, I've always felt the same thing. It's it's going to be different. You know, you're not every organization is going to have you know ten people in the C suite. You know, I, I've been in places they only had five. You know, mm-hmm. so it, it, it's different. You know, the, the organization is going to dictate where it goes, and it's got to be the best fit for that organization. Mm-hmm. And you explained it very well with all the different things to consider. Well, I think for there are some organizations that tend to have it either on the like I, more on the support functions, like um, uh, IT or facilities. And depending on the organization, sometimes putting it in those um, in. These silos, I'd say, or these areas, um, it will make the business kind of kind of delegate and not take care of business continuity as much. That is, it's in other functions. Mm-hmm. Um, but apart from that, it can, I've seen organizations where it works works out well in both, in like in in any you know, it's not a guarantee in any any function. Okay, and on that note, we're going to take our first break. Today, we're talking with Marie-Hélène Primo, and Marie was a speaker at the Continuity and Resilience Today conference, uh, talking about using our BCPs for smaller incidents and interruptions. We'll be right back. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Our humanity is a thing we take for granted, but it takes many forms, and it requires much of us to fully express it. Listen to On Living, the trauma and beauty of being human with host Dr. Leanne Nguyen. This program will explore topics about survival, fulfillment, hope, connection, being fully alive to ourselves and to others. Guests are people whose life experience inspires us to reflect on these questions. Tune into On Living, broadcasting live every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Variety. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. 
stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back to the show. Today we're talking with Marie-Hélène Primo, uh, who is a speaker at the Continuity and Resilience Today conference, uh, talking about using our uh, BCP plans for smaller incidents and interruptions. Um, Marie, in your presentation, you had a a great slide where you talked about um, the response continuum. Can you explain what you meant by by that? (laughs) Yeah, well, in fact, um, what that that slide covered was that um, there can be some situations where um, the impact on the business may be very small, such as problem management, or it can reach to incident management or uh, crisis management, where normally a... Typically, problem management will be dealt with with by the organization, business as usual. When we go into incident management, um, typically an incident will be generally foreseeable, um, impacts reasonably um, were understood, uh, responses tactical and operationally oriented, and amenable to pre-planned responses. Whereas when we get into the crisis mode, well, we're more into unique, raw, and um, infer- in or for- <laughs> unforeseen um, <laughs> situations, um, and the um, so it's typically more complex. So, so that being said, um, there we don't always only activate our plans for um, crisis, and the most often it's for incident. It'll be easier to um, to even use our plans that we've uh, already designed um, in that context. The, the nice thing about that, too, I guess, is um, if there is an incident or a problem, you know, as it escalates, uh, to your point, we've already brought in some of our business continuity uh, workarounds or manual processes that could be implemented to deal with it. So that as it escalates, we're kind of already working in some sort of a BC mode. Exactly. And, you know, and these should all work in, uh, hand in hand. I mean, when you're, you get into the crisis mode, you should still be referring to what you've planned. You might need to adjust them. You need to be flexible and creative, but still base yourself on what exists. You know, in, in in a crisis mode, if you can as much pre-plan as you can have, the the best response you'll have. Uh, did you just out of curiosity? Did you want to say anything about how maybe the crisis management team is involved with that? Because you did mention business as usual. You know, sometimes when things occur, it's business as usual, and it, it, under those circumstances, I wouldn't think that a the crisis management team would be activated. So. Do you have any thoughts on when they should be notified or brought in or, you know, what your thoughts on that might be? Well, when you're in our problem management phase or when that's where that um, happens or in terms of um, the, the, the 
extent of the damage or the incident uh, of the situation, that would stay business as usual. When we get into incident management mode, there should be a notification that's sent out to um, the crisis management team, but we wouldn't be expecting them to be um, in, you know, going to a room and and start meeting because they just need to be informed that something has occurred. They might not be mobilized or alert, you know, activated at, at that point. Whereas when we get to crisis management mode, then they'd be, you know, sitting at, around the table and meeting at a set frequency um, based on the evol- evolution of the situation. Right. And time is of the essence, too. So you wouldn't want to all oh, of a sudden you know, activate your crisis management team and spend the first hour just trying to figure out, okay, what's happened? Really, they should mm-hmm. already know. Right. Oh, definitely, and it's it's nothing worse than you know having a having a um, you know C suite we were talking about earlier, um, someone from the C suite going to a meeting and he meets someone from another organization that has heard about their situation and they're not even aware of it. So you want them to be mm-hmm. aware of what's going on within their organization and that they can be able to say, well, yes, it's being managed. And that's what you want them to know, and you want them to be able to mm-hmm. report back on that. And you touched on a great point because you know on the sea level, you know, let's face it, they they're busy people and they're traveling all over the place, you know, and they've got to know what's happening, you know, back home, so to speak. You know, if there's some sort of major incident that could escalate, you know, they have to get at least an FYI because, to your point, they could be, you know talking to a competitor or, you know, a partner and say, yeah, I heard about your such and such issue. <laughs> and that's not going to look good on the, that poor, you know, sea uh, level individual. Mm-hmm, definitely. Yeah. So you've mentioned this word a few times, so I'm going to ask you what your thoughts on this word is. Organizational resilience. How do you define it? What's, what's your definition for that? A good question. Organizational resilience is the capability of the organization to be able to respond and to also, you know, be able to adapt um, to new situations and be able to, you know, recover. Um, Therefore, again, it's also, it's a capability of the organization. Typically, a smaller organization will tend to be more resilient by the fact that it's more agile if you look at the definition from the ISO, um, the, the, the ISO standard, um, it talks about, about, you know, the capability to adapt, so to facing new situations. So resilience is really be able to bounce back and adapt to um, a new reality that the uh, disruption may have caused to your organization. And you try to be has as much as less interruption as possible, I'd say. Do you, are, do you have any kind of attributes that would help, you know, clarify resilience? Because I, I do find a lot when it comes to resilience, people, and it still happens quite a bit, it's, you know, the resilience in IT physical servers and networks and things like that. And I see resilience as a lot much more than that. So I'm wondering if you have any insight or thoughts on, you know, what resilience, the what attributes should be you know, um, associated with resilience? Well, resilience isn't only IT, for sure, but resilience is often a way that we operate. Um, Let's say if we can 
if we have diversified locations so that we can actually, um, if one site um, is no longer available, well, we can transfer work to that other location where we currently are doing work. Uh, we have more than one employee who knows how to do the job, so we can actually, we might not be able to do the same volume, so our service level may be reduced, but we still have um, the capability of having someone else do the work. It's also a capability to adapt. So let's say if we used to do the work, there's a new opportunity that comes um, that comes across, so there's a new situation that we can adapt our way of doing things or we're not stuck in procedures and, you know, this is how we've always, uh, always done business. So we can do things differently but continue on... Um, aiming for the same goal or having this, a similar outcome uh, within your organization. So, so it's definitely not just IT. Um, but, and it's really a way of, it, it's like someone is running and let, or if there, there's a runner and you'd have another runner that can keep, you know, that can take the stick um, and mm-hmm. do a relay. Well, maybe that relay can come, you know, can uh, happen a bit uh, earlier than than expected or a bit later because you have that capability to adjust and be able to continue on. Mm. Okay. So let's move to the next uh, topic that you were speaking on um, in Toronto, the BCM life cycle. What is that? You know, there, there are so many different life cycles. I work in project management as well. And, you know, there's the uh, service delivery uh, life cycle and all kinds of other ones. So what's the business continuity management life cycle? Well, the business continuity management life cycle, I was uh, speaking about it, the business continuity life cycle defined by the Business Continuity Institute. It actually um, has this six um, steps or six elements to that uh, life cycle. The, the outer element of that life cycle is actually the um, uh, policy and program management. So ensuring that all, our, um, all that we put in place regarding business continuity management within your organization um, is, um, uh, has a, you know, is defined in terms of scope and in terms of roles and responsibilities and, you know, what... what you know, defines business continuity and how we'll have it evolve within your organization. And at the heart of that cycle, we actually have embedding, so ensuring that at all stages uh, within our business continuity uh, program that we do ensure that it meets the objective of the organization, also that we are um, providing the appropriate training and awareness in order to make sure that the entire program uh, will uh, continue to live on within your organization. And then we have four key, I'd say, technical elements within the life cycle, with the first one being the analysis. So in analysis phase, uh, we, speak, we, we cover business impact analysis as well as um, threat assessment. Um, and the um, second element of that uh, those technical stages is the design phase where we actually um, determine what are the um, uh, what are the, the solutions that we'll put in place in order to be able to continue our operations as well as um, strategy, solutions that we could put in place in order to um, reduce the threat. 
The uh, third one is implementation. So this is where we define the response structure as well as uh, the um, writing the various plans that we'll have to write in order to be able to operationalize the uh, solutions that were defined in the previous stage based on the priorities that were set in the analysis phase. And then the last one is validation. And and validation includes um, the exercise programs uh, program because you can't just do one exercise to validate if your plans uh, will Mm -hmm. work, Um, the maintenance of the program, as well as the um, review. So review including could be internal or external party um, audit as well as different types of audit that could take place such as uh, performance uh, appraisal for employees. So looking at uh, not that wouldn't be audit, that would be um, review uh, as well as supplier review. So ensuring that all components have been uh, reviewed. Um, and the reason why it's a life cycle is that it's unfortunately just not one one time uh, thing mm-hmm. that you can put into your organization. Since the organization evol- evolves, well, it needs to um, you know be updated on a regular basis based on the speed of the organization. So that at, in all cases, you need to have that layer uh, underneath that you know governs the program. But then you know continue on in the analysis, design, implementation, validation, and go on. Uh, obviously, there'll be more effort the first time, but you need to make sure mm-hmm. that this continues to evolve within your organization, or, or else um, that will, you know, over time will um, uh, you'll you know lose the maturity and it won't be as useful. Mm-hmm. Um, it might become even useless. Um, and what I what I like about the new version of the Good Practice Guidelines 2018 version. Um, from the Business Continuity Institute, it actually, you know, emphasizes the need to cooperate uh, with uh, gears, with um, uh, risk management, communication, and the various um, other uh, components of the organization to be uh, more um, mm-hmm. res- resilient. So. so, so here's a question for you: If the outer ring is policy and program management. I know some people say once you've gone through the cycle once, you know, you've, you've done your analysis, your design, your implementation validation, and that's when you start doing program management. But I, I kind of have the feeling that program management re- should start at the beginning because you're managing the whole thing. What are your thoughts on when the actual program management aspect kicks in? Well, I mean, the, obviously when you're in the first phase and why be more of project management rather than program management. Mm-hmm. But it still is, even when you start, you should know that it's not just going to be a project. <laughs> it'll it'll yeah. be a program within the organization because there won't be an end um, to it. So as it evolves, you might need to refine your program management within the organization, but there should there are some some key elements um, that should be part of the um, that should be defined at the beginning regarding, for example, roles mm-hmm. and responsibilities at a very high level of who's the sponsor, uh, what's the scope of the program, uh, and what are the key deliverables. Um, such elements like these, but it'll evolve over time, um, and the way that we monitor the progress will also change uh, over time because. Um, it might be more into project phase initially, but eventually it will be more of an ongoing 
maybe a, a spending item uh, every six months or every um, year in the um, uh, at the top management um, uh, meetings. Yeah, and and you you mentioned earlier by bringing in other groups like risk management, uh, emergency management, health and safety. You know, security, information security. You have to manage it as a program as they come on board. You and you said it fine, perfectly. You have to refine your approach. Mm-hmm. You know, and and do what needs doing to bring those on board. Uh, you know, and that that's the piece in the middle where you're embedding. You know, everyone mm-hmm. is coming together. Hopefully. <laughs> yeah, because you don't want to be duplicating work either. I mean, if someone's doing something great within your organization, well. You should all work, you know, business continuity is the time where you don't have the luxury of working in silos. <laughs> because if it's, you know, time is of essence when you're dealing with a, an incident or a crisis, well, you want everyone to put all hands on deck and work together. Uh, but if that can happen on a, you know, when you're just in the program management phase, well, that's even better because you'll be more efficient when something occurs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so because uh, it, it can get very complex, you know, there, there are so many different uh, groups you can talk to within your organization, and the more you add in, the more complex it's going to be. And you know, you don't want to duplicate effort that's happening all over the place because you'll be stepping on toes. You'll get people upset, you know, at, when it's much easier to say, you know, to to reference what they're doing, you know, in, in such and such a plan. Go to this. Mm-hmm. Yep. This document that health and safety has or whatever, and here's where it can be found, but yet it's still a part of business continuity, but you don't have mm-hmm. to re- redo it all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and, exactly. you know, and I know that can be a challenge for some people because it can be a lot of work. So um, we've come to uh, the end of our second segment already. Uh, in our last segment, we're going to talk about um, some of the wonderful examples that uh, – Marie-Hélène uh, presented at our conference uh, regarding some of the plans on how we can use them uh, for other events. So uh, we'll be right back with Marie-Hélène in just a moment. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. 
are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome to our last segment. We're talking with Marie Helene Primo about how we can use our BCP plans for smaller incidents and interruptions. Um, Marie Helene, in this last segment, I'd like for you to kind of go through some of the examples you gave us because you gave some great recent examples of how we could use, you know, our plans and processes uh, to address them. You know, so can you kind of um, go through some of those examples for us? Yeah, yeah, of course. Well, one of the examples I shared was the uh, there was a major snowstorm. Well, uh, in March. 2017 in the um, uh, Ontario and Quebec area in Canada, uh, where we've actually surveyed organizations from various sectors as how they had dealt with that snowstorm. Um, you would expect that, you know, being in Canada that we're, that we're used to snowstorms, uh, <laughs> but we were curious to see how they actually had leveraged their business continuity plans um, to, to minimize disruption to the business. And what organization told us that they had, um, you know, how, uh, they had used it, and they all said that they had leveraged their business continuity plans, and it, um, they used their communication channels and decision-making processes, as well as the business uh, priorities that were set in the business impact analysis. It also allowed them to test their telework capability and the phone redirection procedure. Um, they actually realized for the telework capability that if you weren't connected at 7, um, some realized that if they weren't connected at 7 a.m., um, that they were always being um, pushed out of the network. So maybe, you know, it, then in their post-mortem, they identified that they would need to clarify, clarify who had really access to telework or increase their telework capability. Uh, also tested um, other means of interacting with clients. So some, let's say, do have capability of doing web or phone instead of face-to-face or mobile app versus on-site. Um, so they were able to test that. Uh, also gave them the opportunity to exercise other components, such as having uh, people f- perform um, storm duties or increase inventory at client site or retail store, depending on um, you know the nature of their organization. Some were actually a hardware um, organization that actually were um, selling shovels, so they actually had to increase <laughs> their inventory. Um, so I mean, they're also you know in business continuity mode and have to um, accelerate their deliveries or even sometimes change their delivery um, schedules if they wanted to reduce the number of people on the road. Um, so so that was a situation where. You know, an organization could have just said, well, I'm not even thinking of business continuity, but it gave them the opportunity of checking those strategies that they had identified. Um, for the um, G7, which occurred in Charlevoix um, in June, as well as the D20 that occurred a few years ago in Toronto, um, well, there was lots of um, the spotlight was put on business continuity and incident response. Um, they increased teamwork to have more cooperation with physical security and other groups. Um, they used the business 
priorities that were set, again, in the business impact analysis to see, well, were they the same? Would they need to be adjusted? Were the strategies that had been determined appropriate? In some cases, they, the relocation site was actually in the perimeter that was uh, to be evacuated or not, you know, that was seen as more um, risky. So they have mm-hmm. to um, modify their strategies, um, also assess their state of readiness. So it really, you know, using situations that occur um, to, to let people see that business continuity isn't just, as we were saying at the beginning of the, the our um, conversation, about, you know, very large situation. It could be a planned event, and business continuity information can actually be very useful. And we already had people contact information, so that was also a possibility. Um, in other cases, is um, IT performance issues. You know, typically our business continuity plans are built upon loss of the data center. Well, what do mm-hmm. we do if it's a performance issue? Um, and, like, we wouldn't want to be, you know, pulling the plug on our main data center and going to a recovery site. So the, using the ultimate procedures that were defined um, actually was useful to, you know, bridge a situation where um, we wouldn't be going failing over to our secondary location. Uh, also in the, you know, we didn't speak about that, but cyber attacks, um, well, one organization is, you know, I've, dealt with organizations that had to deal with a, um, a cyber attack, well, they were able to leverage some ultimate procedures that they had um, that they had documented um, while their system was not available. Um, it also exercised the um, incident management team, mobilization, and meeting structure, uh, also um, making sure that uh, they'd be able to meet their different uh, deadlines. Um, also, there could be some domino effects of things that actually are very small but become business continuity issue. I had a client mm-hmm. that had their UPS failed, um, and it actually would happen, you know, and we, we, we think of UPS, this un, uninterruptible power supply, as being something that should protect the organization, but in fact it failed. Therefore, all the critical equipment that were protected by the UPS um, they no longer had any electricity and weren't able to be powered down properly. Therefore, we're damaged. Um, and it, you know, and just Murphy's Law, it happened to be close to a payroll deadline. Um, mm-hmm. And people, so they had, you know, so they, they, instead of just dealing it through a problem management or, you know, when we're talking about the response continuum, uh, well, decided mm-hmm. that they would actually activate the business continuity. Um, group and see what were what was documented there. Make you know the even even though the um, duration of the outage was small, they decided that they would activate their recovery site and have people work from home and be able to continue. Whereas that organization earlier on would would have dealt with that without even involving business continuity people. Um, so that goes back even to the positioning of business continuity within the organization. So by using the strategies, they were able to identify where they had gaps, so it actually served as an exercise. And also showed the value for top management when it actually proved to be functioning that they didn't have any disruption 
thanks to the fact that they had um, a business continuity. And really, you know, uh, so I think that using BCP for smaller incidents will be valuable both on the ROI side because organizations are seeing that even smaller disruption where it might might have been more chaotic uh, with less organization that people can be effective, there's less time loss um, for work, uh, so people can continue on being productive, uh, but also um, in terms of building reflexes for if something major occurs, well, people are more, you know, inclined to use what they've documented in the business continuity. So, mm-hmm. so there's um, various, you know, objectives uh, by using it more often. Well, the the nice thing about using it for small, uh, I don't want to downplay anything because you know every, everything's important to to some organization. But when you have smaller incidents and you use your BCP, um, you are able to find. Uh, hopefully, you don't, but uh, you know, identify some gaps that you wouldn't want all of a sudden appearing in a larger scale, you know, more critical incident. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely, yeah. and that. You, know, you gave a great example here with um, what uh, it happened close to a payroll deadline. Well, you know, nobody's going to be happy if they don't get paid. <laughs> yeah, and it actually it, it highlighted even some dependencies that were never uncovered before where people were saying, well, we're fine because our, our payroll system is um, out of the, is a, in a remote data center, um, and if ever we lose access to the premise, well, we don't have any issues. Well, the file server is actually within is actually within the head office because for performance issues they didn't um, you know um, move it out of the office. Uh, and for the for the payroll file to be generated, it needs to be deposited on that uh, on one of those file servers, and then uh, sent to the bank. So they had to have someone from uh, IT reprogram. Um, the extract file and seemed to be very complex uh, for it to be deposited, you know, to be um, deposited elsewhere. Like the the way the, the control that was put in place was actually mm-hmm. um, restricting our capability to continue operations just because that file server so file server was not accessible. Hmm. So, with some of these uh, incidents that you you talked about and. You know, if we've used our BCP plans and we identify things, what are some of our takeaways, like reviews and learnings? You know, what what should we be doing after we've had some of these incidents? Well, obviously, you should do post-incident reports <laughs> so that you can, actually, <laughs> you know, take, you should, you know, take down what those, you know, what are those learnings are and make sure that they are uh, included in the plans. So um, making those adjustments, like, like uh, we had an organization that had, um, cell phones that they had um, accessible that if ever they, they lost um, internet access, they could use it, or if they lost their phone because they were using voice over IP. But they realized that those, um, well, they would they wanted to do hotspot with those phones, but they were too old. So, you know, they saw the opportunity of changing, changing their devices so that they would be more... Um, uh, more um, appropriate to their needs. So mm-hmm. I think one element is really to make sure that that we will be able to um, address them. 
So, and, and keeping in mind, so, so if we're more into smaller incident, well, we'll be able to, um, you know, look at those tiny details. So, so again, we want to be big picture when we're building mm-hmm. business continuity, but sometimes devil's in the details. So if we can learn at least from those details that we live through in smaller incidents, well, we'll make sure that, you know, it will be working in practice. Uh, so if if we do, we have only got a couple of minutes left. But if we do have find that we've got activities that we need to address, do we have a like a tracking system or something that we should do to make sure we we can't just say yeah, there's a problem with our phones, go fix it. You know, well, of there, course, yeah, there should are, be. Are we linking back to the program? Yeah, the, are we yeah. going back to the program management type stuff now? Yes, of course. Well, you know, again, you need to write that post-incident report and then, you know, track that those actions are actually uh, implemented. Um, So, yes, if there's a, depending on the structure within your organization, so at least having someone who wears the business continuity hat and, you know, follows up um, that those projects or initiatives are put in place and that that the plans are being updated, um, to reflect that accordingly and make sure that the, the gap is bridged. Um, therefore, yes, there should be some, so that frequency may be on a quarterly basis, could be on an annual basis, depending on the organization and their governance structure, but definitely um, you don't want to be sitting at your next events and saying, oh, gosh, we should have changed, we, we identified mm-hmm. that this was not working and we haven't fixed it yet. So for sure we yeah. want to make sure that we... You certainly didn't learn from learn your lesson there. If that yeah, and, uh, <laughs> for sure. So we have two minutes left. Do you have a one minute conclusion you'd like to uh, tell us? Uh, wrap things up a little bit. Yeah, well, very the. It's really important that we do um, by 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 using the BCP for smaller incidents. Um, I think it will raise more values for the organization that we have business continuity. Um, Also make sure that um, our solutions that we have in place are are working and that that people understand the purpose and the value of business continuity. Um, Therefore, um, it gives us really on-hand experience. Um, Make sure that we also communicate efficiently, leveraging all our um, capability and that increases the cooperation amongst the various groups and, and ultimately builds resilience and makes sure that we can, you know, be more agile when something occurs. Well, wonderful. On that, we've come to the end of our show. Uh, Marie-Helene, thank you very much for joining us and giving us uh, your insight and how we can leverage you know, our plans for other incidents, not just the big, the big uh, you know, earthquakes and fires that, uh, you know, people think of. So thank you very much for jo- joining us and going through um, your presentation with us. Well, thank you for having me on your show. Oh, my pleasure. And uh, reminder to everyone, uh, once again, I will be in uh, Manila, November 13th to 16th at the Teams conference. Uh, hopefully I can talk with many of our global listeners and get some uh, global perspectives on the industry. And in the meantime, everyone, stay prepared. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. 
Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you here next week.